0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast which will explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this our fourth season, we are looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. Today we're talking about Minute 90, which begins with a gathering storm and ends with Coulson suddenly showing up with a few questions. Joining us on the show today, we're finishing off the week, is Movie by Minutes guest favorite, Father David Mowry, chaplain of the Movie by Minutes community. Uh, Father David, it's been so good having you on this week. Um, could you tell a little more about you and Thor specifically? Did you know anything about Thor going into this movie?
1: Uh, as I mentioned earlier in the week, most of my knowledge of Thor came from my familiarity with the Norse myths. Uh, When I was in fifth grade, I was having a little bit of a hard time, as fifth grade boys can do, making friends and and being connected with my peers. And I had a really great teacher, Mrs. Ryan, who saw that I had a great imagination and that I really enjoyed stories. And she gave me um, this, this book that was called The World's Greatest Superheroes. And it was all about heroes of myth, mm. uh, like uh, Roland and Thor and Beowulf and all these other mythic figures, Gilgamesh and all the rest, and that really drew me into mythology, and I loved the stories of Thor, and what I loved most about Thor was how comedic he was. You know the, the troll wedding uh, story is my favorite story of Thor from the mythology, like what, what what's wrong with the bride? Like oh, she's just very excited. she, she just didn't need anything, so she's just really hungry. Thor cut it. <laughs> Um, I I really I really love that they captured that spirit of Thor in Ragnarok mm-hmm. uh, with with that the Taika Waititi's comedic timing with it. In terms of the the character Thor, I didn't know the comics, knew that he had a winged helmet, knew that he had like the circle things for his costume on his chest, and knew that he wielded the hammer. But there was more those mythological connotations that I was bringing with me into this. Story story and fortunately i was not as connected with the myths of thor as i am to say the book version of the lord of the rings and so i was able to accept this adaptation with open arms and an accepting heart that's awesome unlike other adaptations <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure we'll hear about those at some point soon
0: all right so now we have literally the gathering storm it's on main street uh, I know, Andy, you are losing more and more your thoughts of uh, your ability to, to recognize this as a real town uh, as we go along. <laughs> but, uh, and also say, I, I don't think that the special effects of this storm are quite the best. Um, yeah. But we we get the the destroyer kind of picked up by the storm is being lifted up and and what I feel like is a very kind of like uh, evocative thing, three times the destroyer fires at him. And the first two times, um, Thor just knocks away the bolt of fire with a hammer. And the third, he kind of like catches it with his hammer and just drives it right back into the destroyer. Bomb moment goes off and destroyer falls back to earth. What what are you seeing in kind of the sim- symbology and like the symbolism of, of of the way this fight is portrayed up in the storm?
1: Well, there's there's finally a use of the destroyers. Uh Laser beam. Uh, We were we were commenting on the lack of tactical savvy earlier in the week, so here it is, finally. But not too late, (laughs) because as we all know, hammer beats laser. Um, (laughs) That's just I mean that's just science. Uh, And so he's able to knock that away. I think the the shots kind of represent the uh, the power that Thor wields, because we never see Thor go toe to toe with the Destroyer before this. He goes up against a whole army of Jotuns, and we see that the Destroyer absolutely takes apart those Jotuns that invaded the vault. And we have this sense of these two powerful figures. And so there's that classic schoolyard fight, like who's stronger, the Destroyer or Thor? And the answer is clearly Thor because he takes those two shots and are able to deflect them and then takes the third full on in order to demonstrate that yeah thor really has the advantage in this fight Uh, It's a complete 180 from the weak vulnerable humble thor standing before the destroyer versus the asgardian god of thunder thor that is completely dominating this combat
2: it's, it's an interesting, uh, well, and, and I love the way that it's all very evocative in like Thor spinning the hammer to kind of create essentially a like it looks like a tornado, like the eye of the storm, like they're literally mm-hmm. battling mm-hmm. in this place where I mean, they're, it's just the two of them, like everybody else from what we can kind of gather, they saw this coming and kind of, you know, went to avoid getting swept up by the storm. So it really is just the two of them facing off. So even in the ideas of like, it's a story we can tell no one can see it. It's just, it's really the Thor and the destroyer here, which is, I think a great moment. I I also really do though have to, (laughs) I have to question the ability of a hammer to, to strike like a fire beam, like, especially because I mean, it it looks like the way that he's hitting uh, when Thor hits the, 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 the fire beam as it, as it approaches him, it looks like the destroyer's head gets like deflected off to the side. I'm like,
0: "Is, is that really how that works? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I was saying, Father David, I agree with you that it's portraying that um, uh, hammer beats laser. But uh, as the two lawyers, I need to say this is not an endorsement by this podcast. that anyone should attempt to use a hammer against any kind of laser or bolt of fire. Please remember that. Don't sue us. Um, but Yeah, it, it's th- this is what I feel. And I think. This is a thing that I think is, to me, Marvel's fatal flaw, is that at some point they decide that storytelling can take a back seat, not only just to, to cool effects, but to CGI. You know, and I think there's a lot of movies where I'm like, ah, OK, now we get the CGI and, you know, a lot of folks love it. I'm not going to take away from that in the slightest. But, yeah, to me, like, why do we need the storm? Why do, is, is the idea to protect everybody else? Well, now there's flying cars going everywhere and crashing on, on mm-hmm. things, you yeah. know, and I. I love the sort of symbolism of it, but yeah, it doesn't. The, the way it the way it happens in the moment, I think you're totally taken in by it. You're like, "That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. This is wonderful." When we minute it by minute, it is kind of a like. He could have just hit him with a hammer back down on Earth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And The other thing that gets revealed when you do this a minute at a time is that you realize that one of the powers that Thor now has is the power to float. Right. Because he has to stop spinning the hammer in order to deflect
2: exactly. the laser beams,
1: which <laughs> according to the logic of the hammer, he he flies because he throws the hammer and the hammer just kind of takes him along for the ride. So he should be immediately dropping into the center of this tornado when he begins deflecting those beams.
2: Exactly. Yeah. It's there's a lot of those sorts of things that it it gets very frustrating. And also, you know, they do use another trope here, which I mean, you know, it's it's a trope I enjoy still. I mean, you see it in um, in all sorts of fights of power of some sort where there's a force between two, two. Beings that have force, whether it's uh you know using the force or Big Trouble in Little China or whatever it is, but but their force projections are like pushing against each other to a point where like oh it's go- which way is it's go is it going? And here it's you know Thor is the one with the power, and so his force pushes back against that that blast of fire coming at him, and he's able to push it all the way back into the destroyer's own head. And I mean, it it makes for a cool moment, but it is very tropey.
0: The one value I can see of that particular trope is because it kind of goes back to some of the stuff we were saying about like using the weapons against them. You know, it, it's you know, it is literally like the destroyer's own fire that I, I we don't actually see the moment. So it's probably just the destroyer getting hit by the hammer. But I think part of the implication is like that the destroyer's own fire is being turned against it, you know, and that it's the the thing that we're also afraid of. Thor, Thor is not only not afraid of, but he's able to control and to use against the
1: destroyer. Yeah, you, you can see at, like, the halfway mark of the minute, about, you know, minute, second, 30 or 31, the head of the destroyer starts to deform... Yeah and melts mm-hmm. as the fire is pushed back on. it. I think that effect's a little too subtle in the CGI because it's just like one so little fast, corner yeah. that gets turned up on its head and it comes by so fast but it does show that it's not so much the force of the hammer as it is uh, Thor putting a great big cork exactly, on this exactly. destroyer's <laughs> face and letting it blow itself that's up.
2: That's exactly what it is because yeah, in that moment, if you look real carefully, you can actually see Thor's face like through the flames too. Like he's gotten so close that the hammer is literally the cork plugging it up it's yeah. very funny
0: mm. exactly so and then we see the destroyer kind of falling to earth it's kind of this very powerful scene um and and then thor lands pretty quickly afterwards following by a couple of crashing cars which is kind of a it's an interesting thing because it's kind of both showing like there's such a serious moment but i feel like there's a little bit of a comedy of like you know the the cars crashing and then again and then again mm-hmm.
2: yeah funny i i I do have to just bring back up one quick sec because the moment when the destroyer actually like you know blows up uh, essentially you're it's a very wide shot and we see kind of the explosion in the sky in the cloud it's a very very cg looking (laughs) puente antiguo that we have luckily you're really only noticing how bad it looks uh when you pause it because i mean the the blast happens so quickly but they do try to make the city look a little bigger but yeah when you're when you freeze frame on it it's it's pretty bad
0: it, it's funny i used to say that i um i hated english in high school and my friends would be like but you love reading why do you hate english and i was like that's why i hate english because like i love just experiencing these books and not picking them apart but of course i i've found you can get so much more out of it this is uh, this is my first time doing a full movie of my minutes thing and i think that that's kind of what i'm coming to is that you both get to appreciate so much more about these movies but you also like you're pulling the curtain back a lot further than you ever wanted to you know yeah
1: So true. Mm -hmm. So true. Now, In in The Descent, the little detail that I do like that I think is is well done with the CGI is just the little flash of the red of Thor's cape that you get that comes down through the the smoke cloud because it, it communicates to the audience if they're paying attention. Oh, okay. Thor has landed. He's not still up in the sky. Somehow you're able to track the action and that way you're set up for... Oh, that great shot of Thor walking out of the smoke! Oh Oh my gosh, it's so cool! Oh, it's it's just the perfect capper to this moment, and it's it's perfectly timed as well. There's just a little bit of like, oh, is he coming? Is he coming? When's he coming? Oh, there he is! Here's how he looks, and the smoke kind of wisping around and striding out so confidently. Oh, I love it!
2: Yeah, what's what's great about it is like we have seen some serious like swagger in Thor's walks uh, throughout the film. most notably the one that I remember is when he's running through the hamster cage and he finally sees Mjolnir and he's just got the cockiest swagger as he starts walking toward his hammer mm-hmm. in this moment. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, there's, it's not so much a swagger as just a serious stride. Like, I feel like it's, it, he doesn't have that kind of that, the, the sense of kind of the brag that goes along with it. It just, it just feels uh, like, I don't know, there's, there's a little more grown-up stride with it.
0: To me, it's the the perfect illustration of the confidence that he now has because, like, I'm a big believer that if you're bragging, if you're telling everybody, hey, look at this awesome thing I just did, because on some level, you need the validation still. You don't fully believe it, and you don't – you need to make sure they see it, and that was Thor. Mm -hmm. To me, this is like – he doesn't have a doubt in his mind. He doesn't need people to be like, oh, my God, that's amazing what you just did in part cuz he didn't do it so that they would pat him on the back. He did it cuz it was needed. And I just yeah, I love that stride cuz to me it's 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 everything that he wasn't Yodenheim. It's there's no bragging, there's no hey look what I just did. It's just I did what had to be done and now I'm here.
1: It it's the difference between trying to be cool and being cool. Yeah. Before Thor was trying to be cool. And it worked because he was so charismatic. But those who knew him know, like, okay, this is a little performative. This is a bit of an act. All right, let's, let's just get on with it. Now Thor is just cool. And he's not even trying because, again, he's come to himself. He's come to self-possession. He's gone through the humiliating uh, experience of the exile. He's come to worthiness. And so now he doesn't wield the power. He is the power. It just comes from who he is as the god of thunder. And that's why when he strides with confidence, there's swagger there. I, I, I don't think we can deny that, but it's an earned swagger.
0: It's swagger. I'm not trying to show off. You know, it just it is. Exactly. Uh, There's a great YouTube video out there. I think it's called "Guy Cool Guys Walk Away from Explosions." And it's just like this long trope of the, like, our hero is walking away as something explodes in the background. And I think this oh, is yeah. very much in that line. Totally had that in Iron Man.
2: It's yeah. very. Uh, yep. it's, it's all over.
0: <laughs> Burn, uh, Burn Notice, one of my favorite TV shows, does it all the time. Um, <laughs> and so then he, ri- he strides out. And, and there's this great moment of understatement, you know, where no one actually talks about what just happened. Jane just kind of takes a look and goes is this how you normally look? Um, it's a good look, which is, you know, kind of a... Uh, I, I want to talk about what she says there from the female gazey point of it in just a second, but just also, like, why is no one talking about what just happened?
1: Right. Fashion <laughs> is king, Matthew. <laughs> that That's the most important thing that's always going on. It's just how good someone's drip is.
0: You know, it's true. I, I, on that We've had a good deal of discussion on other episodes about the thirst factor, and I do need to say he looks very good in this... That gray T-shirt he was wearing under the flannel fit him very, very well at the start of these minutes, and so I just need to like lift up that and look, like, Yeah, he looks good in this, but did you see that anyway? But putting that aside, you, 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 I I love her reaction to it though because it's, I think part of it, it is that kind of very human. Like you're going to comment on the mundane because you can't quite take in what just happened. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it also, to me, is it it very much feels part of Jane's character. That she's this is her trying to be like, I can be cool. Yeah. Okay. This guy's a literal god and I want to kiss him and I'm feeling very swept away. Yeah, yeah, I'm cool. Yeah. Nice outfit. Like it's just it's that 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 part of her coming back out and I love it. Mm-hmm. What
2: I also love about the moment is actually his response to her when she says, Is this how you normally look? And it again, just speaking to kind of learning humility over the course of the story, I mean his response is more or less. Like yeah. it, there's there's not a big answer to that it it's very small and simple i i think that's just awesome
1: yeah that cuz if if you tease out that phrase you know it's it's an idiomatic phrase more or less you know to just to uh, indicate you uh, know being kind of ambivalent about it but he he looks more himself when he looks like this but he has he looks less like himself yeah. when he's in this cuz he was himself when he was in the well-fitted uh gray t-shirt and <laughs> and jeans standing in front of the destroyer when he didn't have the hammer didn't have the armor didn't have the cape right. and so this it it is for him it, it doesn't matter the trappings it doesn't matter uh the the wrapper that he's put in he he now knows himself to be thor he knows himself to be worthy and so well, however he looks, he's going to be Thor. Exactly,
0: And I think the other part of it is it's. I feel like he's no longer taking it for granted. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, this is what I wear sometimes, but it's because before it would be, well, this is who I am. This is how I always wear this, you know, and it's he's come to appreciate the, these vestments a lot more because he's learned he can't take them for granted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Old, old Thor says, now you behold me as I truly am. <laughs> Thor, God of Thunder. No, there's none of that. He's, he's learned that It doesn't matter. Right, right. And so
0: then we get his statement, we must go to the Bifrost site. I would have words with my brother. And we'll talk about the understatement there. But first, Andy, this is what you and I keep going back and forth on. I think this is confirmation. There is a train station for the Bifrost (laughs) on Midgard. It's out in New Mexico (laughs) desert. They've called it the Bifrost site.
2: Yeah, I prefer Bifrost Junction. But hey, you know, the Bifrost site, (laughs) that works too.
1: (laughs) Makes a better song, for sure. (laughs) Is it like a a magnetism thing? that Once you've magnetized a certain site with a Bifrost, that's where it's going to show up? because that they were running to the pickup site on Jotunheim, they have to go back to this site and you know, I maybe that's just for narrative's sake cuz you have this sense of of stake and and drama you got to be in a particular place
2: and, yeah and I I obviously they're going to play with that over the course of the films I, it, but it it is one of those things where it it, it makes me think of it it's it's like it's like a bus it's like it's it's programmed, like, you know, the way that Heimdall has his observatory programmed, it stops at very particular points. If he needs to make an emergency stop or or do an emergency drop off in a different place, he can do that. It just takes a lot more work on his end to kind of do all the programming and everything. And so, yeah, I, I like thinking that, you know, there's a whole bunch of specific Bifrost sites. Those are the main ones that he likes yeah. to
0: use. Mm-hmm. I still wish we'd gotten some moment from Warriors 3 of like, oh, it's not quite as cold. You know, just some moment of like, this is not normally where they go to from. Mm, this is not. There's yeah, a Bifrost right. site in uh, northern Scandinavia. Right. But <laughs> let's then talk about the other part. I would have words with my brother. To me, this is the thing that I also love about Thor, especially in later movies. It's that understatement. You know, it's that very kind of British of like his brother has just tried to kill him and overthrow him and take over the the, the, the land of Asgard. It's not, I need to go kill him. It's just, I would have words.
1: I would have words. The words are, hey, you, <laughs> fist one, fist two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: I I do love the way that he says that. Well, and also I think it speaks to kind of that, the language, that Shakespearean, that that type of language that is used in the Thor films, that was used in the Thor comics. It very much just doesn't ring as, uh, let's go stop him. You know, there's more to it. I like that.
1: Yeah, and that use of language, uh, the way you phrased that made me think it indicates how Thor is now able to, um, for lack of a better term, code switch. He's able to speak... In Earthspeak, he's more or less, that's not a very Asgardian phrase. And then when he's talking to the Asgardians, he takes the high style, the Shakespearean tone of voice, whereas before that was his entire manner of speech when he first showed up. This mortal form has grown weak, I require (laughs) sustenance. And that's fallen away as he's learned to be comfortable in relationship with the people of Midgard and speak on their level. But he still maintains the Asgardian manner of speech with his friends and uh, with the brother. That he needs to have words with.
0: I mean certainly because we so much of this movie is about bridges, you know, the, the high mm, the Einstein mm-hmm. bridge they keep looking for, the Rainbow Frost bridge. He's becoming a bridge between these two worlds himself, you know? Yeah, the representation yeah. of that Bifrost. True. Yeah. Uh, and then we get the very end, uh, you know, just that wonderful excuse
1: me. <laughs> oh, before 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 that, I I I do love that Volstag has been healed by the power of Thor's heroism. <laughs> yes. Up to this point, Volstag, he's been, he's been leaning on Fandral exactly. and um, uh, Hogan. And now all of a sudden he's standing up. He's fine. He's fine. I'm, I'm totally overcome by the majesty of Thor. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Exactly. So maybe a little bit of lightning hit him. We just didn't see it. Maybe, <laughs> oh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe. <laughs> Good point. Definitely. Good point, though.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, Mr. Coulson shows up um just says we don't even see him we just hear the voice but that voice is so recognizable um mm-hmm. what what's your all take on this
1: i love it because in the midst of all of this high drama and mythological action even though we saw the shield base before it it, it for the last couple of minutes i haven't been thinking about phil colson this little Government bureaucrat in the black suit who's meddling with things beyond his canon. Here he is again, just trying to enforce shield bureaucracy on this moment. I just, I, I wish I was here next week because I love some of the (laughs) the lines he gets next week. But alas, someone else has that joy. But just the uh, excuse me, I'm also in this movie. Remember me? Well, it's It's great because
0: we've talked a lot about on this season how. Most of, like Coulson, outside of Tony Sha- Tony Stark's shadow, really gets to shine. You know, he's not mm-hmm, just yeah. the incompetent bureaucrat with things outside his ken. He's able to like boss people around. He's able to take control. And now it's like a new Tony Stark has appeared. You know, and he's right back to that place of like, uh, excuse <laughs> mm-hmm. me, that that's an unregistered tornado you just created. <laughs> like, you know, and I, I I've loved seeing that other side of Coulson, but it's nice seeing this part come back as well.
2: Absolutely, so good.
0: All right. Any other last things about this minute from uh, either of you before we turn to our
1: uh, ongoing segment?
2: I'm good. Let's let's uh, let's hear uh, what what Father David has to say.
1: Well, so for today's uh, installment and the final installment this week of Christ and the Cape, uh, I want to talk about reading this story. I mentioned it earlier. I kind of gave it, it showed my cards a little bit. I want to read Thor through the lens of the parable of the prodigal son, as it's popularly known. Um, A man had two sons. The younger son says, give me my share of the inheritance. Uh, That's due to me. The son goes off. Uh, Spends all that money, comes to a sense, realizes, boy, I I had it so good in my father's house. I'm going to return to him. The father is waiting for him, welcomes him back with open arms. But that's not where the story ends. The story continues then with the other son who stayed and shows an attitude of resentment, of jealousy. You never gave me even so much as a kid goat to feast on with my friends. And the father reaches out to the other son as well. Everything I have is yours. You are with me always. But now we must celebrate because your brother was dead, has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And that's the last word of that parable. What's interesting in in Luke's presentation of this parable of Jesus as as a master editor, Jesus is throwing the question on to us as the listeners. Are we willing— as that older brother figure is ones who have stayed close to God, you know, the, the persons of the, the scribes and Pharisees were muttering about sinners drawing close to Jesus. Are they going to accept these prodigal sons coming back into the father's house? And we don't know what the other son decides to do. That decision is, is left ambiguous because it's up to us to decide how we respond to this, this invasion of grace. So here we have in Thor a story of a man, well, God and his two sons. One who is banished, who is sent out, who loses everything, and yet comes back and is is given a robe about his shoulders, a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet. He's clothed by his father's gratuity, just as the younger son is in the parable. And you have the other son who has stayed at home, who has tried to be good, has tried to earn his father's love, and has gone about it in all the wrong ways. (laughs) And it's the same in the parable. Loki never really accepted Odin's love. We had that scene in The Vault where he asked, who am I? What am I? You're my son. And it's the same with Frigga. You are our son. There is this genuine love that comes from Odin and Frigga, knowing full well who he is. And to them, that doesn't matter. Now, of course, being flawed characters, they don't do the best of the whole transparency and honesty thing with their adopted son, which is a trope I'm not a big fan of, but anyway, um, the, the, then the reaction of Loki is the turning point of the next act of this movie. And Loki makes the tragic choice. He's unable to accept his father on his father's terms. Loki wants to be the one in control of the relationship. I'm going to do this, accept me for what I think I should be accepted for. And the last thing that Odin says to Loki is, no, Loki. And that's, that's a very hard thing to hear. But I think with Odin, it is it is a word of love. Like Loki, just put that aside. You don't need that. You don't need to do that because I I already love you. But Loki will make the Luciferian choice. He will let go of his participation in his father's kingdom and will, in very obvious symbolism, descend into the black hole that's in the star. <laughs> okay, we're a little on the nose here, Kenny, but okay. Uh, <laughs> But that that's the tragedy of Loki, and it's, it's a possibility in the face of grace. Uh, when we see others who are enjoying favor, who are received back warmly, after doing something wrong, who have, who have gone off and made bad decisions, made poor choices, not been worthy of what they received, and then to see them being received back, that can stir up jealousy and resentment in our hearts as well. And so we're all faced with the decision, how do we respond to someone else's generosity, to someone we think doesn't deserve it? Our Are we able to accept it on that other person's terms, on the giver's terms, and let go of our own desire to control that situation? And that's one of the reasons why I love this movie of Thor, where it gets into these family system dynamics, these relational dynamics, and uh, these places of relationship that we all wrestle with and struggle with. And in the story of Loki, it presents uh, a tragic answer to that solution. It's possible to reject it. It's possible to let go of it intentionally.
0: I, I love the way you draw those connections. I hadn't thought of that particular parable for the story, but I think it's such a good fit, especially in that you know, this kind of tells some of the parts of the story that the the the, the parable doesn't, you know, in, in one in that seeing the father as a flawed figure, that there is some degree of the resentment between these two brothers is in part because of how the father has handled it. But also because you're right, because I, I think the later confrontation we're going to get with Loki and his father, where Loki is trying to earn his father's love by kind of doing what Thor was doing, you know, of trying to, I, I will be the one to kill the Jotuns, um, is such a heartbreaking, like Shakespearean tragic kind of moment. Um, that yeah, I think seeing it as like, it, it's, that part of the parable of the, of the, of the prodigal son that we don't get to see in, in the gospel, but, but get to see here. All right. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, Father David, it's been so good having you here. Really appreciate all the conversations. Uh, Really look forward to having you back at some point. As I say, I'm going to now try to recruit you for a couple other podcasts that I run. Um, (laughs) So, as I said... There's nine days till Christmas, so I'm guessing maybe recording the next couple of days is not the best. We'll, we'll
1: talk in <laughs> talk the new year. Yeah, by, by the time these episodes air, I am probably still asleep. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, probably, I'm probably in the Father David sleep after Christmas. Ordinary That's time. Right. We'll, we'll talk in ordinary time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but
0: yeah, thank you so much. And just for, for folks who want to, one more time, like people who find your um your podcast and your writings, you know, actually there's some uh, information about the church services you hold there too. Where, where can they find all
1: that? Uh, My website is fatherdavidmowry.com. That's F-A-T-H-E-R, David Mowry, M-O-W-R-Y.com. I have a blog that I update about twice a year on there, and (laughs) I have uh, a schedule for, you know, if you're in the Chicagoland area, you want to come and celebrate Mass with me and the folks uh, in the Catholic Church, you're more than welcome to. Uh, There's also a listing of the various podcast appearances that I've done on there, uh, including some episodes from uh, Iron Man and the first season of Marvel Movie Minute. Which uh, I enjoyed a great deal And I'm so grateful to be back for this season Of Thor And uh, know that uh, my prayers are with you guys As you look (laughs) ahead To the the ever-stretching Bifrost bridge Of the (laughs) Marvel Cinematic Universe
0: Look, pray for the people who have to do Thor The Dark World, because that's a tough
1: movie to discuss.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so oh, much. Geez. It's so great having you a part of this. Uh, Andy, as always, thank you so much. You're the one who makes all these things happen. You help get our guests. You help uh, um, do all, make all the things happen. I just get to talk. So I'm, I feel so <laughs> grateful. I'm grateful for that. Thank you, everybody. And to our fans, thank you so much. Have a great day.
2: Until next time, true believers.